This episode of Troxel is supported by Confluence, which is now more than a conference. It's also a video podcast where AEC industry software developers take us behind the scenes and share their design and decision-making process to show how they made the tools we all use to design the built environment. It's available on YouTube and Spotify. Follow the link in the show notes and subscribe today. This episode of Troxel is supported by Avail. Avail helps AECO firms better manage, organize, and navigate information faster. Visit getavail.com today. Welcome to the Troxel Podcast. I'm Evan Troxel. I have a little bit of housekeeping to do here before the intro. It's a reminder, uh, this podcast and YouTube show are made possible by sponsorships. And I've got sponsorship slots open right now. If you'd like to get your message out to the Troxel audience and support the show, please visit trxl.co slash sponsor to learn more and get in touch. This show is also supported by memberships. To learn more about how you as a listener can directly support what I'm doing here via membership, please visit troxel.co, that's trxl.co. And click on one of the many subscribe buttons on the site. There are a lot of things that I want to be able to do with Troxel, and that can only happen with sponsorships and memberships. All right. In this episode, I welcome the journalist, publisher, and conference director, Martin Day. You likely know of Martin through his critical and opinionated writing and publishing at AEC Magazine, both in print and online and as the host of the Next Build and Next Dev conferences. I'll note right here that this episode is part one of our very long, wide-ranging conversation. And I'll also say that this is exactly what I love about podcasting as a long-form type of media. Martin says in this conversation that he writes long, as do I, and that his thinking is unstructured. And that actually lends itself very well to podcasting. It's one of the only ways that we can actually do that anymore, besides the kind of writing that Martin actually does at AEC Mag. But I also acknowledge that I'm attempting to weigh the appetite of what constitutes an episode for my listeners, so I've decided to break this one up into two parts. In this conversation, we delve into the current state of AEC tech and specifically focus on our challenges potential avenues for growth that exist within the industry, and cover an amazing amount of valuable insight into the industry's dynamics. As you might expect to hear from Martin's global perspective on AEC Tech, SolidWorks, Katia, Archicad, Revit, Navisworks, AutoCAD, Inventor, Rhino and Grasshopper, Onshape, Nemechek, Snaptrude, Arcole, Adobe Creative Cloud, Serif Affinity, Swap, SketchUp, BricsCAD, MicroStation, Speckle, Building Smart and IFC, IFCJS, OpenUSD, NVIDIA Omniverse, Spaces, now rebranded as CoDesign, Enscape, Rayon, Figma, Finch 3D, and Hypar were all mentioned during our conversation. And for a bit more context around the conversation before we get into it, we discuss the lack of a standard workflow in AEC, Martin's work on NextBuild and NextDev conferences, similar challenges in the mechanical CAD ecosystem to that of AEC, the future of Revit, problems with the shift to the cloud, the importance of IT and digital practice leadership roles, software business models, concerns about data security, BIM 2.0, 
and the dynamics of VC funding. We also touch on the impact of AI tools, the automation of 2D drawings, and the link between design and fabrication, or lack thereof. This is a big conversation, and it's only the first half. So, without further ado, I bring you part one of my marathon conversation with Martin Day. Welcome. Welcome to the podcast. Great to have you. Thank you. It's been a long time coming. I know you've been very busy. I've been consuming the uh, the next dev videos uh, on that were recently put on demand. I, I linked to those in some of my my newsletters as well to hopefully get other eyeballs cool. on those, which is is cool. Um, yep. A lot of great information in there, and I would love to talk about the conference and and like where that came from, but also just kind of uh, takeaways from from this most recent one for sure. But yeah, 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 talk about like talk about your role, what you're doing, and then let's let's talk about your research project that you embarked on a few years ago. Just to, because I can definitely yeah. speak to that as well. So um, I've been writing about computer aid design, BIM. Um, since I was 22, I think. So we're getting on for 30 plus years. Um, I, when I started, my father was an engineer and he told me I was going to be an engineer. So I went, okay, I was pretty good at maths and I was interested in science. So it wasn't a bad idea. Um, but when I went to university, all my friends turned out to be architects and I loved what they were doing. And because they couldn't use CAD, I used to model their their designs, help model their designs uh, in uh, in AutoCAD at the time and uh, get involved on that side. So it was kind of part, part in their projects. And it was actually a time when they got marked down if they did their designs in yeah. CAD and not drawing. <laughs> right. So, and that wasn't too, but it was, a, it was an interesting um, start point. And I thought, then maybe I should I'd like to be an architect. And then I realized it was nine, seven years plus. Um, and there was a hulking recession uh in the 80s and so i thought yeah maybe not so i just uh carried on um and i had to take a, another um kind of pick a, a third option and i picked publishing which is kind of weird because i didn't really read that much and um it was fantastic i sat in the first lecture for two hours this guy waffled on he had corduroy jacket corduroy toy corduroy trousers brown shoes hair over his eyes and after two hours I wrote one line which was don't publish a book if no one wants it you'll make a loss and I was like oh I can do this <laughs> so then I got into publishing <laughs> but they had they had all the machines that could print and stuff and I was like oh right machines aren't up there so that kind of gave me the spark and then various engineering jobs I kind of ended up writing about CAD in London um, and that started at the bottom as a staff writer so I was getting all the press releases and Meeting Autodesk, the kind of like these mythical people behind the software that I was pretty much, yeah, that was my thing. Trying to use AutoCAD Release 12 was my thing. I need, I could use that without any interface on it. I was, I was totally into it. Um, and then kind of rolling forward, I think Release 13 came out and that was a, uh, a real test because it was, it was kind of a moral quandary of I've got this magazine, I write for this magazine, and Autodesk has released this pile of rubbish, and <laughs> I've been very nice about the pile of rubbish because everyone could tell me to ignore the machines it was running on. They were saying, oh, yeah, it's on a 486 with 16 
gigs of RAM, which are the megabytes. Was like, yeah. uh, the 15, uh, the megabytes, like 15, 15 grams worth of computer. Right. I said, yeah, yeah, sorry, fine. Oh, looks great. You know, 3D modeling, Asus, fantastic. And then I did these, I had all these little bench tests that I'd written. And I was finding it was a thousand percent slower or it was actually crashing. And I was like, mm. and um, I, I, I sent it into Autodesk in the, in the UK and said, look, this is what I'm finding. This is really bad. And they said, we guarantee that all the things that you're finding will be fixed. And I rang a friend of mine and I said, this is pretty, this is pretty bad. These aren't going to be fixed, are they? And they went, ah, no. And <laughs> so luckily my publisher said, said yeah, write, write, write what you want. So I did um, 10 pages, something like that, something stupid on, on how bad this was. And uh, then that just set off a bomb. It was, it was pretty, pretty epic. And so suddenly I was at the, the real end of journalism, which I'd never really set out to, to do, which is kind of like um, get involved. So I kind of feel that, you know, that that was pretty much setting out my my personality in terms of I like I like to be honest and I like to write about things that I care about. If I'm passionate about them and then they disappoint, then I'm going to say I'm disappointed. Yeah. Um, if you've made some errors or if there's something that makes me scratch my head, I'm going to kind of question it. Um, and then sort of we have rolled forward and then eventually I left that company. Um, we set up our own magazines. Oh, my God, almost oh, 16, 17 years ago, I think. Oh, it's, been, it's been a long time. And so we had a mechanical CAD magazine, an AEC magazine. Um, then friends of ours forced us to run a show that we didn't want to do, which became developed 3D, which is a live, which is a engineering event. And that kind of grew and grew and grew. Um, and then one year... Some other friends of ours from Lenovo said, oh, "Why don't you do an architectural show?" And um, they, we had a little conversation. I thought, well, "I'd like to do one." And they said, "How about doing it in ten weeks?" I was like, "Next build was was kind of rushed through, but it was a bit of a success. It was a small number of people, and the idea is to try and keep it to the the folks I talked to, design IT directors, the heads of R and D, the people that were involved in." research and you know I, I i don't really go to see many companies that use products out of the box without really doing any extra development or plugging in or, or creating a tech stack to to actually deliver a workflow i mean that for me is the most interesting thing is is, is the creativity that in firms that are capable of of matching products point products to make it and from start to end right. and trying to make things work. And then you speak to someone like Zaha's or, and, and you kind of think, oh my God, every single project they do, they don't have fixed products. It's down to, okay, this is the team we're assembling and you seem to be stronger and good here and you're stronger and rhinos and, and may. So that's, that's it for that project. And these guys over here are stronger and rhino and maybe something else. And they're going to use different products. And that's, so that's kind of a, also an eye opener that there isn't necessarily there isn't one workflow for the industry. Everyone does it differently. Yeah. And so, yeah, and then uh, this year, we kind of threw Next Dev in. And that was another one which was kind of like 10 weeks before. I was even an hourring about it. And um, we, we hit, the previous year, we had Michael Marks from 
ex-Katera, one of the founders of Katera, um, come over and talk. And at this point, he's a investor. He's a um, he's someone who's interested, but isn't necessarily. He's more interested as an investor, and so we get this kind of like. Uh, so you and I might be Mister. Uh, uh, he's billionaire Michael Marks. Okay. He's not and <laughs> it was just interesting to watch people come up and approach him. People come out to say, "Can you put a good word in?" And you know, we need some. Like, I've met him twice. I had no no say, but um, I got to know him quite well. Um, and we had some kind of interesting conversations, and I started learning about more about the VC side of the industry, and I kind of spent a bit more time then that year talking to VCs and understanding what's going on. I've always talked to lots of startups, but now I'm, I've kind of entered this zone of, uh, because we tend to cover new firms, because I get excited about their technology, then we put that in the magazine. We have now a bit of a reputation for kind of showing these new firms off. And so I, that means I get more people coming to me saying, I've got some new stuff, what do you yeah. think? So next dev came out of an influx of people contacting me and, and part of it was looking for what's next step after Revit. What what is going to be the next thing? Is it going to be former? We don't know. We don't really know not enough from from Modest's point of view. Um and there are loads of startups. And ever since the open letters came out, there has been a lot of VC activity and development activity with people sensing blood. Yeah. Rightly or wrongly. I mean it Products are sticky, and even in the mechanical CAD world, I've seen this with SolidWorks, which have farted around for years trying to kind of get people to move from SolidWorks to Catio, and they're bringing out all these new technologies that SolidWorks people aren't interested in. Um, and everyone's, everyone else who's hoping to get into that market is sat around waiting right. and just quietly developing their products. Um so even Dasso can't get their customers to move from one to another. Autodesk knows it's going to have a serious problem getting people from Revit to a, a brand new. And I kind of think that's why, in some ways, from my understanding um, of how they're going to do it, you know, this is kind of thing at the moment, connecting Revit to this new unified database. So you're translating, but you won't know about it. And then eventually they'll rip the database out of Revit. So it's talking directly to the unified thing. Then Revit really is the front end. And then they can start reworking the features if they so choose. Yeah. But Autodesk, as usual, might acquire something. Mm. Um, so Autodesk has never developed a BIM tool of its own. Right. It, bought, it bought Architectural Desktop. Right. It bought Revit. Um, at the moment, it seems like the Revit team aren't necessarily... In that involved with former, it seems to be very much the space maker dudes. Yep. Um, and yeah, I think there's still a lot of work to be done, kind of fleshing out this database, which is fundamental to the next generation. But at the moment, Autodesk is, is trying to keep Revit its income, its customers' vision, saying this is a you know a, a, a product which will get some new features every year, but. The reticence to go into the deep guts of it just aren't there mm-hmm. because every time you go into the deep guts, you start making, you start breaking yeah. it. So we're kind of seeing. Um, I think the biggest one that I know of that's going to go in there is the one graphic system, 
which is a kind of like a new graphic subsystem, uh, which they've stuck in all the other products, but it could be like one or two years still before they get it into um, uh, Revit. It could be the next, next, next year, but um, that will give people a big boost as well in terms of speed because, because graphic, which is what people, I mean, this is the thing with Revit is I always saw Autodesk desperately trying to get more performance out of it. And then literally someone would get the new version, which was maybe 10 or 15% faster. And then let's start modeling in more detail or just adding more and more to it, which would then kill it. And in, in the analysis of all of this and looking back, I think we were absolutely insane back in 2010, 2008 to think that BIM was all going to be done in one single model, mm. in a file, mm. in one product. Right. It's just insane. Right. It, it it's just is the most stupid thing that I can think that we all fell for, thinking this this is the right way to go. Um, and it's only now that we're seeing the files aren't the future. It's databases, and databases will give us that ability to to all work from one version one version without the kind of slowing down that a file or or, or you know, if if it does get a lot larger, at least it's on the server somewhere, it's not on your desktop, when you're trying to send it to somebody or going into a, 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 a customer's, this is the thing, um, going to these customers, seeing that they had all these um, compressors and uh, encryption things to shunt Revit models around. It was instead of spending a fortune in hardware trying to send big models to one another uh, in different countries or wherever. And, and then we had COVID and the greatest thing that COVID ever did for the industry was it reminded everybody that there's a different way of working and this stuff's been developed for ages. It just, you didn't feel comfortable maybe using you didn't it. You have to. And yes. it saved a lot. Yeah. Of, <laughs> yeah. It saved a lot of people's backsides. It and um, it also created some interesting hardware conundrums. In the UK, you couldn't buy a workstation laptop right. for love nor money come May right. of the first, first lockdown. So yeah, that was that's that's kind of where we're at in terms of AC magazine. We tend to not bother with the mundane. We tend to try and look at things that are actually moving forward, things that are going to make improvements. So I do these little projects. I was explaining to you before yeah. that uh, in the summers I like to try and I always write big. I don't write small. So I'll I'll go off and research a topic, and then um, splurge it out in a big article coming out the other end of it. So I've done that with 3D printing. So I went on all the 3D printing companies this was a couple of years ago, about five years ago. And then uh, in 2018, I went round to design IT directors to talk tech stacks. And to and I learned so much about the kind of world of pain that they're in with license models changing, technology changing, uh, Software not working, uh, one thing upgrade updates and then it breaks everything else. Um, uh, ongoing costs, uh, and then the demands of their board and then the demands of their users. Um, and then things, you know, it doesn't really help when software companies don't give them the tools to track software usage and then is more than happy to go in and give them some kind of non-compliance fine, um, which isn't particularly fair. I mean, it's, it's not as if they're trying to steal software. It's the case of they haven't got the tools to track it and they've got, they're in an organization 
that's running multiple license types over multiple uh, different countries. Um, they've got to go backwards and forwards between releases of things like Revit because yep. the, you know the, you, you have to lock in if you're going to work together because of that kind of limitation. These people have to be jug- master jugglers, and I I had a new appreciation for that that person whoever it is in a company to keep everything going um and so from that focus uh i think pretty much that's kind of really impacted the way the hasty magazine has looked at technologies identified things to to review um looked at pain points obviously we've been very hot on things like open letters um because I, I always kind of feel the users don't really have a lot of say. You're, you're, you, it's, 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 yeah, specifically in an Autodesk world, you, you are locked in. You're using that file format. You're using that software. You've got all that training. Everybody in your company uses it. It's ported at the board. Okay. You're using it. Yep. You're going to use right. it and you're not really going to swap out very easily. And uh, because of that, that makes you, um, uh, okay. Yeah, it puts you in a problem position because you've got no leverage. Uh, and subscription makes it even worse. And before you could say, we're not upgrading, uh, come back when you're doing something that we're interested in. But when subscription's there, you're, you're tied in. That's it. You've got to keep on going. So, yeah, that, the, those kind of things are, 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 are obviously become quite passionate, and you'll see that in the magazine. The role of the... Uh, IT design director, I think, is um, not respected enough. Um, I, I've kind of been hanging out with these guys now for quite a while, and it's they all the, the thing that's great about since the open letters and since the thing is with the open letters and then next build and then now next dev is these guys are meeting each. If they didn't know each other, they're now meeting each other, and. Um, uh, it's great to see the connection between these very large architectural firms, mid-sized architectural firms, and now we've got construction firms joining in as well. So um, if the industry can work together more, not not on a, the federated way that they do it, but just discussing the day-to-day issues that they all might have with a vendor or they all might have with a piece of software or... Uh, you know that they're all actively discussing who's being offered sweetheart deals at the moment, because sweetheart deals sound great, but they are a ball and chain for some time in the future. Um, so they're all trying to be made aware of, of uh, trying to avoid some of the slippery slopes. This episode is made possible with support from Avail. What's one of the most painful aspects of working in Revit today? Well, we all know that as a Revit project grows over time. Navigating the information in that project becomes ever more taxing. And when more than one person is working on a project, a new wave of challenges arise. It only gets more difficult throughout the life of a project. Good news, a huge update to Avail Desktop was just released. Version 4.5 introduces several powerful new features designed to improve organizing, searching, and finding information within Avail. New features include channel groups, application mappings, and scope searches. But that's not all. Let's talk about the all-new Project Navigator, a powerful new feature in Avail for Revit 5.1 that extends Revit's native project browser 
to help navigate the dense information you're forced to endure as your projects grow. For the first time, Avail will connect your active project to your standard library with one unified search box. With Project Navigator, you can easily switch between active projects, see recently viewed Revit elements, search across all Revit project elements, yes, all of them, conveniently search Avail with one click, filter by all the different element types, navigate to sheets and views, legends and schedules, view individual elements contained on sheets and navigate to them, view family types, and more importantly, actually drag and drop them right into your project, view instances of each family type currently being used in the model, and more. To read all about the new features and see a video of them in action, visit getavail.com. There you'll find a features pull-down menu, and you can look at all of the different features, including the new Project Navigator. Once again, that's getavail.com, and look in the bar across the top for that features pull-down menu. Thank you to Avail for supporting this episode of Troxel. It's interesting to me how you look looking back, you can piece together the, you were talking to VC people, you're talking to the developers, and then you've kind of put that together so that everybody is in the same room Mm. having these conversations at the conference. And I mean, those were some of the most interesting points from the videos that I was able to watch about the conference was when you have somebody in an investment firm and they're talking about what they're watching in the industry and how they're watching growth happen because they're purely interested in this from a financial standpoint, but they're talking about it out loud to the people who actually use the software and the people who are developing the software and kind of painting the picture of what they're up against, right? Because we do have these incumbents in the industry who they hold so much of the market share, the, the lion's share of the market share. And they're basically saying like, they're still acquiring users. They're still growing. They're st- even, even with the dearth of development that's going on. And so you start to see where the opportunities are, right? Uh, and obviously the people developing software alongside or in lieu of, uh, you know, features that, that maybe don't exist yet looking for the, they, they see those opportunities, but it's also showing that like, it's actually a hard road to tow. There's going to be, there's going to be a lot of competition in this space. There's going to be a large slog yep. to get there because it's like you said, uh, Dassault can't even get their customers to move to a different piece of software that they offer themselves. Right. And yep. let, let alone look how many firms are still using AutoCAD or LT even to, smaller firms, but they're still using AutoCAD to deliver their projects, right? And they haven't even moved to Revit that's been out for 20 plus years. So this is a thing that kind of freaks me out is the 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 business side. It's as if software companies don't realize their business motives are so absolutely obvious to the rest of us that they can somehow spin them as being beneficial to customers. Autodesk, mm-hmm. for instance, said it would never force customers to go from perpetual to subscription. It did. It basically did. It did. He gave them a, a very nice reward for doing it, but it, even they got bored and waiting for that. And so that was kind of those those kind of things. Yeah, never say never. And and the reality is that once Autodesk did it, then every other software company that's competing with Autodesk saw the revenue bump and has gone. Yeah. All right, okay, yeah, I saved that. It, and, you know, we've got shareholders. We have to do the same thing. So then. You see subscriptions starting to appear. Then you start seeing named user licenses start to appear. 
you start to see the end of network licenses. Suddenly, it's not just one company that's decided to squeeze the lemon harder. It's the whole industry that's squeezing the lemon harder. And these are the same people because it's a tech stack of, of stuff to be squeezed on. And I right. feel their pain. And it, software companies have less accountability because of software subscription, because you have to buy it to use it. So you have to keep paying. There's no, how do I tell you what I want? And I will pay for what I want. I don't like paying for stuff I don't want. And that's currently what people are doing is paying for stuff they don't want. Um, yeah. Adobe, uh, another company that kind of went through, uh, I, yeah, a lot of the firms I'm talking to in London are trying to get rid of their uh, creative suites because of the cost per individual so high. So they're going to go to Serif, the uh, Serif company, and they're saving some money that way. Um, and it's people are throwing out brand names now to try and save money. Uh, I've had some people tell me that Autodesk are possibly 60 to 70% of their entire IT spend. So that, that doesn't really leave a lot in a company to buy other yeah. stuff, which then limits right. other companies coming into the market. Not to compete with something like Revit, but to offer a nice application. So, like, um, I'm using this, but it's it's expensive. So, uh, NVIDIA or Omniverse, for instance, that's like another four or five grand per user. That's like it's it's, it's, it's you can't really have that throughout your entire company unless you're you know you, you can justify it by having huge fees. So, right. there's. There, there is a limit to how much money people have got. I kind of get tired of people keep quoting, oh, this industry spends less than fishing. It's like, well, the companies I'm going to see are spending a shitload of money and they are um, always increasing that budget. And if you look at the entire construction industry, you have all the subs and the contractors who are lucky to have a computer or you know, they might have a copy of LT running on something. Um they don't spend a lot of money on IT. I get it. Maybe they swamp out the rest of the market. But the kind of design firms I'm talking to are spending a lot of money on subscriptions to software and and expensive workstations and now expensive servers. And, um, you know, there's, there's costs involved. These people are... Uh, I, when I go to a mechanical CAD company that's doing design, they have one really good workstation with a decent graphics card in it. If they're really good at product design, they might have a VR headset. Maybe it's a 10 grand one. But they don't really have this other plethora of other software applications that they they use, which is what happens in design, you know. Yeah. Um, and I I always try and explain to people the differences that it, the, in the user's, user case is a triangle. The bottom end of the triangle is people who make rectangles, and they are the the average building, and then the people in the top 25% of that pyramid is, all start their projects in Rhino Grasshopper. They care about the geometry more than they care about anything else. Revit and other products are, are merely a documentation tool of their crazy geometry. Um, a friend of mine who worked at uh, Foster and Partners said, we have to sell experiences to clients. When we sell them the experience, we're not worried where the toilets are in the building. We're not worried where the piping is. That's a problem for us to solve later. We need to create design that so captivates this this customer that they want to sign up and buy it. And when they want to sign up and buy it, then we'll worry about the details. Uh, but it's, it's geometry first. Um, right. 
And so I kind of split the market into geometry first architects and then people who make rectangles. Um, and so I'm, I'm, guess, I'm guessing I'm kind of specifically aiming at that top 25% uh, or the aspirational firms that want to move into that kind of, want to compete. Um, and they might have a lot of rhino uh, or wish for rhino geometry, rhino um, grasshopper geometry. So what I, what I started off doing was trying to say, well, what is going to be the, if, if, I talked to a lot of these guys and I said, look, there's, if you're really fed up with Revit, then there's, after you can, at least they, they've redeveloping the underside of it, the, the architecture of it over time. It does multi-threaded processes. They're, they've got some kind of cloud installation. They've got some new stuff. So there is an underlying reworking of Archicad underneath, which I've not really seen so much so in Revit. Um, and they just said they didn't want to swap one BIM tool to another BIM tool because they were fundamentally questioning BIM as, as the computer science is today. Because if you think about it, all the BIM, it's, nothing's different. I mean... Uh, if you spend any time talking to Jonathan Ingram, Sonata, back in the day in the 80s, it, you know, it, the logic of, of BIM, where you have a wall, windows and doors go into walls, floors attached, well, should attach to walls, ceilings attached to, to all this stuff, this logic hasn't changed since the 80s. Right. And, uh, right. and it's almost the same in. Uh, in the mechanical cat space, well, you, you can look at that and say, oh, they're much more advanced than this. They're not, because Parasolid, which is the most populous uh, uh, solid modeling kernel, hasn't fundamentally changed for 40 years. And so uh, the, the porous that came in and kicked PTC's backside was SolidWorks. SolidWorks uses a Parasolid kernel. So, okay, that dominates the market. Then... John Hirschstick, who's the guy behind it, then thought, I'll put SolidWorks on the cloud, basically is the concept. So he did um, Onshape, which is parasolid, but on the cloud. So they have this, it can't actually do anything different because it's limited by the fundamental underlying technology that was decided decades ago. I think this is the, the, the issue now is as I'm looking at BIM 2.0, next generation BIM, are we seriously going to take Revit as it is and just shove it on the cloud? Or are we going to say, you know what, computer science has changed. The, I, I know that there's a lot of work that's gone into data, but actually, is this the right way to work? Is this really the right way to work? I mean, you won the architects over, but you didn't really win, win, uh, win over MEP very easily. Uh, structures, they've still got their own tools, and it's kind of like another thing that they use. So... And sticking everything in one file was dumb. So let, let's let's rethink what it should be. Um, and people have accused me of saying we should throw the baby out of the bathwater. The the logic might be right for most of it, but there has to be a rethinking of how you go about doing this and making it easier. Because you know all old products are just an actual bunch of wires. They're just a mess. Um, it happens over time. That's why products eventually have new generations because you have to try and start from scratch to clean out the mess to have some clean kernel yeah. and then right. please have some new ideas while you're at it um, and I was you know, looking at things like Snapdrude thinking I talked to Altaf in 2018, 2019 he showed me his sketchy stuff, I mean this, this was in a white space no top, no bottom, no grid just 
lines and some obtuse angle that he was like playing with. It was very interesting for um, parametrics. The parametrics was interesting. And I said, oh, yeah, well, yeah, come back to me when it's coming, you're building it. Um, and then the more I talked to him, the more I realized this, this guy is incredibly bright, very serious. Um, he got he got some money. He started developing. I was very surprised when I saw what I saw the next time round. Then he got WeWork to help him. Um, I've seen uh, obviously V 2s come out now. I mean, at least I've got something like twenty million dollars in the bank, and he's got five years runway with forty developers to go at it. And in five years' time, he's going to. Uh, if you look at, he's going to put Revit on on the cloud. Um, yeah. How different is it going to be in my kind of ways and wishes of it actually being beyond uh, what we've had before? I don't know, but um, you know that's that was what I was thinking was going to be yeah, a contender. Probably Autodesk would buy it. Maybe Nemechek would buy it. Someone's going to buy it. Um, but he's got in five years' time. I the velocity that they're producing uh, stuff. There's there's nothing quite like. Snapchat's development yeah. at the moment. Um, but it is BIM on the cloud. Um, as you know and love, it has families. It It's RBTs, it's the core of it. And a file format can be so limiting because um, there's, there's a limit to what you can store in it because that, the very definition is the thing you're copying rather than going beyond it. And um, if you look at Autodesk, when they developed um, Inventor, they... They were given court blanks. They were allowed to forget that they ever created AutoCAD. And Inventor didn't do DWG very well for, for, for most of its early life because they had to free themselves of the past to try and create something new. Um, so I'm hoping that we're going to see some new stuff um, from other developers. And then I kind of saw the swap stuff. Um, which kind of blew my mind. Suddenly I've gone from, oh, this kind of cloud stuff's kind of interesting to, oh my God, AI is going to decimate documentation as a workflow. And it might actually also impact some very basic modeling detailing. And at that point, then I had to completely re-scramble my brain as to thinking what the future of this industry is going to be. Because I honestly believe that even though BIM tools should have automatic 2D drafting, that was the thing they were sold on, people don't like the automatic output. And so they stick it in AutoCAD and they break it. Um, I think that AI, with with the stuff I've seen lately, you're going to be able to upload a model from anything and it will produce 2D drawings of all flaws, of all new elements. And there might be some bits you don't like, um, there might be some bits that you can retrain it, so it'll do it the way you want it. But I, yeah. I just don't see the future ar- architects spending a whole load of time and money in developing drawings in the next five to ten years. Um, I hope so. I, well, it's going to be <laughs> that's amazing. That's not what we should be competing on. We shouldn't be competing on that. I, I firmly believe that that, like that, that's not our best value. It is what we all do. It's and we we obviously compete on it in a capitalism sense but it isn't where our value and our time should really be spent and it is an enormous time suck i mean it's it's like you said as soon as the computer got faster we just drew more detail and we filled the computer back up again and that isn't i mean 
it was interesting to think 10 years ago, or let's say 2008, your timeline when, when Revit, you know, was really starting to gain a foothold mm-hmm. when, when firms were actually switching from AutoCAD to doing yep. their projects in Revit. And to think of what's happened since then with, you know, it was Moore's law strictly back then. Right. And so it was like, well, if, you know, it, it might be slow today, but next year it's going to be faster. And the year after that, it's going to be faster. And so everybody just had this expectation that that was going to keep happening, except that it didn't. And then GPUs came along and kind of gave second, it breathed new life into that way of thinking. Right. Which yeah, is, but we G- can cram but Revit, more into Revit that. hardly used the GPUs. And, and so we were. So we were, people were going out there and buying loads and loads of big graphics cards. They were like, going, stop. It's all about CPU. Buy the fastest CPU you could ever. And then SSDs were the biggest right. boost you could get. And you know, it was just for the hardware guys that you know, advertised with us. They were like banging their heads against the wall for about five years. And you know, give us something to hook into so we can accelerate this thing. And um, it just wasn't there. And um and the interesting thing is the stuff that's being developed now is nearly all in the cloud. So you don't right. buy a graphics card to make it faster. What 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 happens right. to make it faster when it when it slows down? I have no idea. But um, yeah, and I don't. <laughs> I'm a big fan of having local desktop power. I think it's important to be able to walk away and do your own work off grid, and then somehow reintroduce it. But that that technically, com- computationally, science, computational science is very hard. You've got lots of people. It's, it, it could be slightly easier than some guy who was the SketchUp guy coming along halfway through the, the detailed design phase saying, hey, I've made some changes to the SketchUp model. How can we incorporate this in Rabbit? And then the, all the design managers are there trying ready to beat him up and work out what it is that he's changed so they can incorporate it. So, um, yeah, I'm just looking forward to the end of some of these historic pain points that, that we're at. I think people are fed up of doing it. They just do it. But with, but I, I I do worry about the job situation because how many people are employed in producing drawings, just producing drawings, as opposed to doing the design? I think that right. Uh, I think that, that whatever anyone says, once you have automated drawings, um, reliably reliable automated drawings, then you're going to see a, a dynamic change in firm structure. Uh, payment structures um and you might have more people you know get to be an architect which would be fantastic um there was a shortage of people coming into the industry i I completely buy into the short-term game no real pain but i'm just kind of thinking long-term here where once it gets good at modeling then what and you'll just you yes i was watching star trek the other day I, t- I used to take it for granted that they were talking to the computer all the time. And, uh, right. And it, that is actually here now. People can talk to their computers and you can get stuff yeah. done. But obviously, it's not fully fully cognizant of what we're actually trying to do. But this is coming. You're, you are, your input to the computer is going to be speaking, input yeah. with a mouse or whatever still. Uh, it's going to be images. It's going to be... Um, music god knows what it will be that will just generate this so um i kind of feel that there's a uh, a change in so many different you know the interface of the computer the computer itself is it on your desktop or is it in the cloud is it a gpu is it a cpu i mean these are all uh, uh you know uh, are you just seeing a screen that's that's 
a computer somewhere you know, a thousand miles away. All these things are changing. And then there's the software, which the laziest thing is is what's happening in the MCAD space is a lot of people have taken their code and they've just shoved it on a cloud instance. And that's what you get. So you're still running the old code, but it's it's running, it hasn't been optimized necessarily for the cloud. I think it, I, I, with Autodesk and Forma, I, I obviously know they are starting from scratch and they're actually not going to throw the old code up. Um, they have definitely bigger plans for it. And for people like Nemechek, it's a concern because nearly all of their software is desktop-based. The stuff they're doing to uh, RPCAD is interesting where you can choose, you can run the pro- some of the processing on the cloud or you can run it locally. And I'm fascinated to learn a little bit more about their flexible architecture because that's what I'd want. I'd want to be able to choose because you're still paying money to run it on a on a fast someone else's computer yeah. as opposed to your own. Um, right. And I, um, so yeah, there's, there's that. And then AI, uh, everyone immediately jumps to chat GPT or stable diffusion. And that's such a immediate low um, bar to set yourself when you're talking about AI in, in this industry, because all buildings are recipes, all building codes are very vari- variables. The, the, the ease with which if someone sat down and put all that stuff into an AI um, uh, just to check your models, to check your, your designs against, uh, is, is, is not far off. Um, and that could happen in real time. There's no reason why you have to submit this model. It could be there in, in the background all the time. And then also put drawings or something you get on demand. They're not things that are created in a set phase. They're always there until... You know, I I need to to submit my drawings. No one's doing anything for planning. Good grief! So what's the point of doing all this? You can still speed up and use Swap AI. And hey, in forty minutes, I've got a design. I've got all the drawings, and then you submit it for planning, and that still could take three, four months before anyone looks at it or they actually understand what they're looking at. So, right, um, you have to speed up all parts of the industry if you want to get real acceleration. Um, but I, I kind of, after spending a lot of time with the AI guys, there's a lot of concern about IP. Um, I think Martha wrote something in building design, or she had Martha from Foster Partners wrote something. She really is quite concerned about theft of design and knowledge, and it, it's not just competitors, but the, there are real big issues with software companies, not just having all your data on on their servers and I'm, I'm, I've, I've lined up I'd lined up an article which I won't go into but I'm about to look into this where according to the Eulers when you're storing your data on people's servers on software, your software provider servers how much insight do they have to that knowledge and um, because you're using not just their point solution to create the design, you're also using their software distribution, uh, their design distribution sign off, maybe ERP, maybe bidding software. They have actual insight into your entire business, who you work with, how well you work with them, the number of um, revisions that were made on every single project. They know the design information. It's, it's, it's a, 
incredibly powerful place to be. And the question is, can these people be trusted to keep their fingers, not just off your designs, but off your, your network, your private network. And, um, I think that's a concern. I, I, I do think yeah. that they obviously want to run AI to, to train, to be better, to help people. And, uh, there's a limit, but there, I feel there's a, there should be a limit to what that is. Um, and I, I kind of, I get a feeling from a lot of these larger practices, they don't really want their design data on a large software developer's private or, or public, um, uh, cloud solution because they just don't quite know what's going to happen to their information. And would, would you be happy to know that your competitor, that you, your software is being, your, your process is being shared with your competitor or the, right. your design now. So there's, there's issues. Um, and you saw recently like Zoom change their EULA there and, yeah. and talked about using you, anything in those meetings to train AI. Then they walked it back. It was probably a little bit too late for many of their customers at that point. But then we've seen the same thing with Adobe. I've, I've seen people posting, here's how you go in and tell it to opt out of training because you're opted in by default for Firefly and generative. That should be made illegal. That, that should be, it should be off by default. I've got a friend who's an MIT graduate who teaches high school kids kind of like that last year of maths private schooling all on zoom and he just went i'm gone there is no way on earth they're having access to my tutorials and it's my ip um i think we're having maybe a silly moment where we think we can do this um and in europe i think there'll be laws against it i'm pretty sure they're quite they're quite hot on that um I mean, even that I know that they're looking into this whole issue, having software vendors, having such a huge insight into business processes, as opposed to um, you going to a company saying, analyze my business processes and improve my company. No, no, it's like, we're, we're, we're keeping a tab on everyone. If you're a, if you're a, if you've got such a powerful position in the software, the, the software tools market, then yeah, the, there is there is reason to be concerned. Um, sure. so I I'd like everyone to sort of think about their cloud services a little bit more than they do at the moment. Um, and this is the other problem at the moment that I'm seeing is sweetheart deals where it's easy in, low cost in, but you know yeah. it's going to be ratcheted up. And once yeah. you're in there, it's going to be really hard to get out. Not saying the services that you get aren't bad, but it's they know it's kind of like a drug um right. and nobody should really be getting a sweetheart deal it should be this is the cost this is this is absolutely the cost and you need to know about it not have it sneak up behind you um and wallop either not you but your replacement as a design it director in three or four years time this episode is made possible with support from confluence if you've been listening to the Troxel podcast, you've heard of our next sponsor for this episode, Confluence. But we have something new to announce. Confluence is now more than invite-only live events. It's now also a podcast. And it's very cool, if I do say so myself, because it's a joint collaboration between me here at Troxel and Randall Stevens of Avail, 
who is the creator of Confluence, as well as having been on this podcast a couple of times talking about the AEC tech industry that we all love. So who's the show for? Well, have you ever written software or wondered why the software you use works the way it does or want to find out how the people who make the software in our industry do their work? Then this is the show for you. I like to describe the Confluence podcast as the director's commentary track for AEC industry software because in each episode, we go behind the scenes of AEC software development and talk directly with the developer to dissect a feature and their workflows and get an inside view of how and why they made the decisions they did while creating the software you use. Randall describes it as the AEC industry software version of the How I Built This podcast, which we are both huge fans of. Confluence is a visual show in which our guests show their work. We think you're really going to like it, and we already have a few episodes out for you to watch. You can find it on YouTube and Spotify right now. Just search for Confluence Podcast on those platforms, or click the direct links I've put in the show notes for this episode. Go check it out, and please subscribe. No, really, just just go check it out and subscribe right now. This episode will still be here when you get back. My thanks to Confluence for supporting this episode of the Troxel podcast. Well, you've talked about kind of the next wave, and I, I want to maybe we can shift into the next dev and next build mm. conference and, and kind of the convergence of enough energy that you have coined the BIM 2.0 term, not, not on your own, but you're, yeah. you're using that to kind of talk about the next wave. And, and one of the big pieces of that is this data framework, these, this kind of standards body that's come together with European firms. And then I think yeah. Greg is, is brought it to the LFRT as well. And in the, in the U S and kind of talking about setting up a, data framework that serves AEC kind of in a, in a similar analogy of the way that USD and, you know, these, these large companies have gotten together on the visual effects and the, the gaming side to kind of make these definitions at, at an industry level that then software providers uh, deliver on, right? And that's yeah. kind of the idea here is like, here's a wish list and it's not like specific tools, it's data framework, it's how do we get data through the entire pipeline? I, I'd love it if you could just kind of get into Aaron's yeah. talk and 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 how that all came together. And then and then you know because there is also this other stuff that's actually people producing apps that maybe started before this framework came out, and there's a bit of a mismatch there already, even though it's like early days for a lot of them, right? And so. It, it is a it's a it's tough complicated. Position. It definitely is. It's really complicated. Yeah. So, I think the the thing that we have to realize, the fundamental thing that everyone has to realize, is that files are going to go away, and the way that you do an RBT file or a DWG file, they will probably be some kind of output as a last resort in the future. Because as we move to cloud, then we have a live database, well, whoever owns it or whatever system it is, whoever you're subscribing to, the database has so many more advantages than the file and files are, I think Andrew Adignas described as dead things walking. And it's true that they, they, they are going to go. And as we've moved towards this BIM 2.0, and I kind of wanted to 
with BIM 2.0, my aim was really just to try and with, explain to people that there is a change happening. Even though I talk to a lot of people who are on Revit now, and they just say, you know, Revit isn't dead or whatever is going on. And I have to try and explain to them that actually there is no new generation of Revit. So what happens to software that doesn't have a next generation? What happens to your knowledge with that next? There is a finite point. It might not be now. It might not be five years. It could be 10 years away. But at some point, all of this is going to get bored with trying to support 50 users who don't want to move or whatever the number is they decide. So it, it is going on. It will have some updates, but it's not, it's, from what I can tell, it'll never have a significant rewriting where they're not going to go into the guts of it because it just, it just creates um, quality issues. So if we're going to have BIM 2.0, if we're going to move, then these, this is the kind of thing that happened with the open letter group. And it kind of, the first part of this was the open letter group getting very fed up, asking Autodesk for features, and then then combing through the future feature lists that they'd planned and not really seeing much much of what they'd asked for. And then they kind of realized that these were Revit fanboys, and they kind of got to the point saying, there's no point asking Autodesk for anymore because we know that they're not going to do it. So what do we do? So they started talking to everybody and, and, and that stuff. But in a conversation I had uh, with a group, a smaller group of them, they were like saying, well, maybe we just need to tell the industry as a whole what it is. And it's not like a, we can't, they can't be, they're, they're architects. They can't tell people what software they want, but they can tell them what kind of things they want the next generation to be able to do. And this conversation was picked up by the Open Air Group in, in the UK, and they started a work group. So they've been working on this for over a year of what kind of capabilities would we like to see? What kind of problems do we have in our day-to-day work that's not being addressed by anybody? And so that work was, was started, and uh, you had Aaron from AHMM uh, and Andy from Grimshaws, who were kind of like uh, leading the, the kind of thought on that. Um, and so while they were working away on that, uh, Greg, I brought, I think I met Greg in a bar with, with Bob McNeil, um, uh, as all good things start. So my friendships with Greg started somewhere in Sweden with, with, with Greg Schleuser. And, um, we were talking about getting rid of 2D drawings. That was our, our conversation. And he, he was actively trying to find a solution to this problem. And could it be Brickscad? Could it be? Is this someone else who is who's actively actually trying to do something to, to solve this problem? And so that started with a conversation about drawings. And then obviously the discussion in the industry was about next generation. And Greg started talking to me about um, his ideas for uh, a database that was owned by the AEC industry, not owned by a vendor. Because the last... So if you... Remember back in the days of AutoCAD, we all had DWG. DWG was the lingua franca of, of, of design. And literally every other CAD package had to import or export DWG, normally pretty badly. And uh, I remember spending a lot of time with the Bentley Systems, and they ended up to actually properly support DWG stock complaints from their users. They had to go through AutoCAD, 
and find all of the element types that that uh, had to be translated into things that didn't exist in the definition of of microstation schema and add them into microstation. So that there was a really good map between AutoCAD entities and microstation entities. And I was like, oh my God, this is the way you solve interoperability is by literally creating, making sure you've got a a map-to-map feature set. And so, yeah, a lot of work from from, uh, Bentley, from Keith Bentley on uh, iModel and talked to him about schemas. Um, so there's, there's, there are people who have been working to try and think of a bigger thing. But the one thing that mustn't happen with BIM Level 2 is to be DWG'd or RVT'd again. We don't want to go into a new generation and immediately have interoperability problems. We need to have clarity. Data needs to flow between all the people in a project like Water. It shouldn't, yeah, I go see companies that have professional data wranglers. They sit there and their job is to, Ted wants this in DGN and these guys want an RVT file and these guys want an IFC, but they only want the kind of the, 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 the fire doors. So he's there and he's like trying to shuffle out this stuff. But this happens in so many companies because they're, they're, they're playing, you know, um, Tower of Babel. So the discussion with, with Greg and his idea was to try and create a, open format that uses open standards that is isn't owned by anybody that can sit in the cloud and be a reservoir or a data lake for project information and now enough and not to be something where you just fire and forget but the information that you create is information that you still own in the data lake but the idea would be a lot of this comes from maybe Speckle and also ISCJS and this kind of stuff where you have these little server codes running on every single machine. You atomize your model to every single element and you're sending individual elements to the data lake. So every time you create a door, the door is then sent up into the data lake. You still have an RVT version of it, but there'll be a data lake version which we formatted maybe in ISC or something else. I don't know. Um, but the idea being that you still create and broadcast the things you create, but it doesn't mean that people can change your designs. So structural engineers and everyone else can actually then subscribe to your components. And so every time when they subscribe, they can import the ISCs of them as, as individual components. If there are any changes or updates, they get notified. They get that information coming through. And so you end up with this kind of... Um, arbitrage this is kind of exchange system where the data lake is live and everybody is still in control of their own data yet it's shared so at the moment you know you got idiots saying oh you got guys saying oh, i need an ifc of this work package and then someone just goes oh yeah i can do that ifc out and then you got the whole everything oh there you go that's what you are for. Uh, this is so stupid we can get yeah. past this so Greg was working on this idea of this kind of data lake. And then within that, within his kind of journey, he's kind of identified, um, you know, uh, steps within within sort of uh, data creation to try and capture the knowledge that went with that data and to try and also capture the history of that information. So you've got um, all, all types of capabilities um, 
with Iliad. So rolling forward, now now this is kind of where it gets a bit confusing because people are looking at uh, things like uh, Speckle and they're saying this is kind of what Speckle does. Why? Speckle is predominantly about files. It's predominantly about me connecting you with my files. So it's like a point-to-point plumbing system between things. It's not this this kind of communal data lake that just sits there and then has all sorts of uh, knowledge information added to the elements. But the thing that the speckles great as is, is it will get you the geometry, the IFC information from A to B. And I, I know that um, Greg's had some conversations with Dimitri and Matteo about what it is, but I just don't. I just don't think that there's um, there's necessarily an, an understanding about what Greg is doing and why it's different to what they're doing. And mm-hmm. um, and the other thing is is that yeah, um, IFC is obviously the start point for this, but it's it's got limitations and it's not brilliant, right. but it's start point. Um, and then the idea from that is that. Uh, Greg's Susan uh, is highly involved in bu- building smart, so he can help influence his ideas from the idea of um, uh, he, he, he's calling it strange matter because when, when we when we spoke to him, he kind of came up with lots of three name acronyms, and I was like, oh, I'm so done with three name acronyms. We got we got to have something else. So strange matter it is, and there's this extra level of information that's beyond. I, beyond BIM, beyond it's more practice centric, it's knowledge centric, it's AI, it could be it's whatever's you know your secret sources, but you can have um you can share more information um than IFC, which is the current limitation. Now jumping aside and talking about USD, USD is fundamentally geometry. It's geometry with lighting and textures. It's not a standard. Number one, it's owned by Pixar, so it's it's not I know it's not like an international ISO standard. Um, uh, they did open it in, in terms of publishing it in 2016, but um, since then they haven't necessarily been too willing in expanding it. The only expansion I've read about was when they took USD and they did a USDZ or an X with Apple for uh, some of their kind of. Um, uh, immersive VR uh, X tests, um, but but then you got people like Omniverse and Nvidia, who were scraping the the RVT, turning it into USD, scraping some more from the RVT and adding that into the USD, which wasn't standard. It was still a standard USD, and you could open it and you could see the geometry, and you could see the textures, and you could get the lighting. But the extra stuff, the the, the extra bin stuff that Nvidia had scraped and stored, wasn't in a open area no one understood that data because it was there so we they were extending it secretly but not for their benefit and for for omniverse's benefit and the idea is if we are going to expand usd for this industry's benefit then everyone needs to be on board and the alliance for open usd um is predominantly about everybody agreeing what things that could be added into USD from various different, not just architecture, but you know other areas. What are, what are sure. Pixar willing 
to allow it to expand to because the last thing they want is it to bloat. So there's going to be a subset of other stuff added. And then there might be sort of a, 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 a an AC variant afterwards. But the idea is to try and drive it to becoming an ISO standard, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this is, uh, you know, I, I think NVIDIA told me once they wanted to take IFC and USD and slam them together and make a new uh, open for, open format. And I was like, you don't, if you have two open formats together, you do not get a third new open format. You just get a, you, you just get, yeah, another kind of hybrid that's your own. So, um, this is the way that, that the industry can do that. So you might see more, you might see some subset of IFC ending up within the actual USD and then there'll be a little bit more hours. But ultimately it's still a file. We've still got this problem. It's still a bloody file. And that means that it's still got limitation. So there needs to be an implementation of USD, which is a schema. It's a structure. It's basically a wrapper around the data. There needs to be, um, uh, a a cloud based the data lake version of it. Now again, that will still be a subset of data because everyone's trying to designed by committee. Everyone's got to agree with it. It'll be better than USD. It might be better than ISC, but it it will still be a incomplete version of everything that's added into a, a, a CAD system. The reason we had DWG, the reason we had RBT. While we might sort of, I, I'm you know slagging uh, it up these these proprietary file formats off. You need a, some. You have to have a proprietary format, otherwise you can never develop your software to do more. You've got to be in control of your destiny. And so, uh, Autodesk is going to have its own unified data environment that is not going to be published. That is not going to be open. That is going to be sat on their database on their servers. But if you want your data out, then you've got these exchange servers where you request certain elements, certain geometry, and you can get it out in whatever file you want. But she then, but it's files are going to be this kind of like subset where you kind of think, oh, right, I just need to get that information out to stick it into my thing. It's not going to, or you might get it out through an API. You might have a, you might load a forge element that has a Revit model. You select the elements that you want. And then you just press a button and somehow it connects to to another bit of software that you own that means that's what you get sent. You don't even see it. And I kind of I do believe that Autodesk is is fairly sincere about open a new open front in terms of next generation technology. It's in their favor. It's just at the moment I think the way that they're going to be spinning it is that they're going to be charging for individual services. So if you want to exchange and get a file out, that'll come as a a micro cost. So everyone's going to end up with a kind of a cloud wallet just to do some things maybe with some data that's not theirs but with someone else's. The The problem comes when companies need to grow and they need more revenue and $4 billion a year isn't enough and you need more. So therefore... You change the licensing model. Um, I was talking to a developer who said that um, uh, one software company was now cha- charging developers per API call. And so f- to do a transaction, uh, it might be 40 API calls. Uh, but if the server's down or if there's some traffic or whatever, it could be 90 API calls. So as a developer, you don't know. 
each transaction exactly how much you're going to get charged by the software developer. I hope that doesn't become common, but there are going to be some bumps in the road as we move towards this kind of uh, cloud infrastructure with let's change the licensing models to try and make more money because we've got to grow because we have shareholders. Yeah, I mean, that. To one of the points that was in that panel discussion that I that I watched on your website was, I don't know if it was Aaron or if it was Andy from Grimshaw who talked about just the business model of not of who your customers are and where the feedback comes from has completely shifted just to shareholders. It's no longer the users of said software in said industry. It's, it's delivering a return on investment for shareholders. And when that's the driving force, all bets are off, right? As far as like what happens next, because your incentives to buy software are now misaligned with their incentives to develop that software. <laughs> yes. And it's, yeah, uh, so it's it's painful, uh, and you know a, a lot of these people. I remember the first time I spoke to Jens from Big. I knew he was a massive Revolut fanboy, so I was like, okay. I didn't really know if he was just like bringing me up to keep the tires or whatever. And we just had a discussion, and he, I, the, the the this guy absolutely loved Revit. He he was he is he he he, he was. It was just, it was a religion. It was the area, there were some of these people that kind of get religious by this stuff. It was a religion. And then, uh, the more he stepped up and the more that he was doing a, a big, the more his software of choice was causing him problems or the company that owned it or the, uh, and for him, um, he was just deeply frustrated because, you know, he, he wanted to fly and the software wasn't flying. It, it was, right. if anything, you, you, I was seeing these guys, they, they were all adding up how much money they spent in workaround software. So for the longest time, PDF was crap from Revit. So they were all buying stuff that were, was doing that element of it. And when they were asked by Autodesk what features they wanted, which is great, um, they, they, they kind of were sat down and said, listen, we'd sooner not ask Autodesk for things that we've got workarounds for because it's sorted. There were things that we don't have workarounds for that we need sorting. But mm-hmm. when Autodesk then would go and ask the grey and wash to the bottom of the triangle what they wanted, they all want the the things that were obvious that they hadn't paid money for to get the workarounds. And so you kind of ended up with this, you know, it's, someone at Autodesk years ago when they only had Autocad said to me, hey, the great news is you've sold like one million copies of Autocad. Hey, the bad news is you've got one million customers of Autocad asking for features. And it, it is true. I mean... Sure. To have a software company and, and be successful is a double-edged sword. Um, right. And you have to put the resources in to try and keep everyone happy. Um, and every year you, you used to proffer up some features in the hope that people would upgrade. And some years they didn't. And on average, it was every three years they upgraded. Um, and there were some customers that never upgraded. Um, so it, it, you know, I try, I try and see it from all sides, but I'm always going to be on the side of customers who are paying for it. Um, and then this kind of like going back to this big data thing is we, we, we have to free ourselves and free the data. We have to be able to interface and connect together better. It would be much better if the files and the data and your IP was not owned by a software company and was in fact your under your control um 
but so I think that there is going to be, yeah, he's got he's got um, thirty nine firms are now backing his plan. Uh, he's done a lot of development work. He's got some money. They're all subbing money together. My concern is that it's all U.S. firms, um, and every time that Greg's come over for next build, I've, I've run this thing which I which I comedically called um, Fight Club, um, and it was just to get it was to get. The people who kind of I knew were on the same wavelength as, as Greg Schreiser together, so that he can tell them a little bit more about what he was working and thinking about than the stuff he could really say on the set on the stage, and that would normally descend into a bit of a bun fight. It actually did turn into fight where people were arguing amongst themselves as to you know uh, what they wanted to see or you know if this was even valid. Um, and we ran it again just after the next dev. And that really turned into an absolute screaming argument, which was which was wow. healthy and uh, interesting because everyone's got a different perspective. Um, yeah, but the yeah, reality that's my concern with that that kind of a situation as well. And I mean, this is this is something that I don't think firms. It's hard to te- it's hard to say. I watch those presentations and I see this list, and it's really well delivered, and it's really thought out, and it's really structured. And then there is the reality of developing software. And if the firms are the ones deciding what the software is going to be, who's going to be the decider? I mean, you can't have everybody being the decider. I think that's going to be, that's going to prove to be a very difficult challenge, which is like defining what the features and the way that you build the tools to actually deliver on those features. So on that note, so up to this point, pretty much everyone that ordered this, so all of this compared from 25 architects plus some in, in the UK, some in Australia. That was the first letter. Then very few American firms signed up to that. It was a lot of Dutch people, a lot of South Africans, subject Japanese. And then the next letter came out from the Nordics. So that was kind of like, um, uh, obviously quite a few, quite a few com- big companies signed up to that, but, um, while the original letter was being digested by Autodesk, these other signature architects of about 11 of them didn't want to sign this letter because they thought it was too full frontal. So they went behind and they started talking to Autodesk kind of secretly around the back saying, look, we didn't do the open matter, talk to us. Well, they got treated exactly the same over the next three years. Mm. And they, he's got no benefit out of it whatsoever. And, and the, obviously they talk to each other because they're all like, yeah, signature architects and stuff so it was it was it was it was very very interesting to watch how this transpired and uh the thing that the all of that discussion all of that discussion about what they need what they want was framed in a revit framework and once right. you once you have that revit framework you really limits to you as to what it is that you're going to get and what it is that it's capable of and Everything. So by stepping out, I think the open letter group and sitting down, especially Aaron uh, sat out and started saying, there's no point in writing a spec for a, for a CAD system. There's no spec in saying what, what Revit needs to be added onto. Let's create a, a feature set and give it to the entire industry. Because Autodesk, obviously, have got their hands full because they're doing Revit and trying to keep that alive while they do former and former is nothing was coming out of former at the time. Um, and what we actually did get was really, um, 
uh, one of the products that was kind of like just being re, re, reworked. Uh, it's, the, it's the database underneath it that's the real big work. So, so let's step back and let's just tell everybody. I mean, um, these guys had seen Data Systems, Nemechek, uh, Hexagon, Trimble, uh, anyone who had an interest in maybe trying to get into Revit's shoes was talking to these people who complained to try and find out. Some of them were trying to sell them the software they already had, um, uh, when really they should have been going in and saying, what is it that you want? And so this feature list benefited from not having the Revit framework around it anymore because suddenly you start thinking about, I am, it's about like throwing away RVT, throwing away DWG as a software developer. You're unconstrained once more. You don't have to reverse engineer this into something else or into something old. You can start talking about it. And I think Aaron, I knew Aaron was working on it. And because of my ridiculous timescales, I knew I threw him in the uh, toilet because um, uh, he didn't have long. He worked, he worked for weeks on that, trying to get the text ready. And then more people wanted to see it. And so it was like distributing it around and getting feedback. And um, he gave just, I think it was the best presentation I've ever seen. And uh, I could only, I only sat in awe because it's one thing when someone gives a great presentation. It's another thing when the pauses and the gaps in the way he delivered it also meant something. And I'm just like, oh my God, he's actually speaking with space. This is, this is incredible. So and I, it wasn't just reading off the slides. It was very, it, it, it's it from was so well communicated and it was digestible. It was like the vocabulary was totally digestible by yeah. everybody in the room, everybody who's watched that. And it came across as written prose. Like there, there just wasn't, there were no mistakes in it Unbelievable. at all. It was incredible. And the thing is, so since then, we've had something like one and a half thousand people sign up to watch it. And mm-hmm. I, we've got, Pretty much everyone in Vector Works. I've got a, a, a list of auto, auto desk is the size of my arm. I've got um, Graphisoft strategy guys. I've got Dasso systems. I've, I've also got loads of mergers and acquisitions people uh, watching it as well. It's, it's kind of like this is a different kind of people who are watching Dev, and and it's not the thing that I wanted to do was to these design design directors know their stuff, and they know what the pain points are. And I just thought, really. I'm fed up of seeing 25 different uh, conceptual design tools come out, and all of them. I didn't even know we had such a big problem with massing. Why? Why are the 25 products that all do roughly the same? It doesn't make any sense. What a waste of money! If the VC guys, the developers, can be presented with an array of options of all the pain points we've got, all the, the new areas that we're, that we're we're faced with, like you know. Um, uh, sustainability and, and, and CO2 stuff, um, maybe some of that money will get spread a bit thinner and we'll start seeing a, a proper range of tools, not just uh, you know, for this next five years. All you're going to see is, uh, is conceptual design tools. Wow. Oh, here is another one. Here's another one. I, I just stopped reviewing them in the end because it just didn't make any sense. The ones that are around now and surviving probably have a life but for five years it was bonkers what we were getting out so Aaron gave this talk it was fantastic it was superbly received and 
it was food for thought. So the people in the room that caused massive discussion afterwards, um, the people from NVIDIA weren't particularly happy because it wasn't USD. They're talking about this other framework. Yeah. But, but you have to understand that USD is not, it, it, it's transactional uh, format. It's not going to be this new, sta- it'll never be this new standard for people like Greg Schlesner and the uh, NFRT. They're aspiring to have something that's a bit more beyond just data in the cloud, just you know, geometry in the cloud. And, um, and so that was that was uh, that was the, that became the kind of core. Aaron kept saying to me, "I, I gave him thirty minutes, and then the next a week later, say it's going to be maybe forty. And I gave the night before. He said it's kind of more of an hour because we'd all be drinking. I thought he was joking. I was like, oh, oh, oh. and then Andy went, no, 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 no. He really means it's going to be an hour. I'd be with it. So we we ended up the very very compressed post uh, discussion because. But I just I knew that that was that was like gold. That was the that was the thing that was going to get everyone talking. And, and immediately after that, the next few days, they the open letter guys have been talked uh, contacted by large uh, construction firms and uh, structural firms. So it, it, there are going to be other names that are going to be added to it, and then hopefully next year we can get a, a similar thing from a construction perspective. Not just an architectural design perspective, but because they they too need to buy into the idea of having this data layer. Because again, it it, it needs to benefit benefit everybody. And so, but but um, construction is in a different different world. So literally, all the new stuff for construction, all the AI stuff for construction, is nearly about management of site materials, timelines. Right. It's not about design tools. Then they're not getting the love in that in that respect. Or the startups—they had a whole load of money for three or four years, was piling into construction, and they ended up getting, you know, uh, tools to get documents on iPads on construction sites. Or um, you know, Alice Labs was one, and then Slate AI. But it's it's just not the same level of kind of development that I'm seeing for design. There are at least six or seven Reddit competitors in development at the moment. Um, you haven't seen them all yet. Um, some some are, are going to you're not going to see until maybe next year or the year after. Um, so this game is that game isn't over, but that has to feed into general construction. And I was having a conversation yesterday with not Speckle, but Sparkle in Norway, uh, Magnus. And we were just talking about how the other thing that was the whole idea about having a single building model in a single file so fa- failed so spectacularly that we ended up with a architectural BIM model, a structural BIM model, an NEP BIM model. Uh, we have a construction with a, a quantities BIM model. It's the, the, we've, We've replicated the work. We've created more. We've actually created a worse, worse scenario. And on top of that, if if the architects were never accurate in two D drawings or didn't have good quality in house, when you take that to three D, it just really falls out of the the, right. the edges. Uh, uh, I always remember the first time an architectural practice asked me if I knew a way 
to um, erase the, uh, the dimension on on the on the Revit drawing, and so they could just write it in rather than actually change the model. And I was like, oh, this isn't this isn't good. <laughs> and then it wasn't that many years ago. I went to a company that had uh, the British kite mark for for BIM, and they had modelled the they had modelled a multi-story apartment block. The only person in that whole large firm that had 200 seats uh, that actually saw the all of the all of the uh, different uh, levels was the guy in 3D Studio Max because they'd modeled every single floor separately in Revit. They actually wow. didn't. And I was like, well, well this is, you, how can you do any crash detection or anything when, when everything's just like, in, you've broken it down to, to the point of why? Why bother? Um, yeah. So you'd be blown away by how much time is wasted at the beginning of every single project about how that project is going to get tackled. So, I mean, that that example is one way in which firms will tackle a project, right? Multiple multiple buildings on a campus site, like for a school, uh, multiple floors, core and shell, and this is like a hours long discussion with multiple people every yeah. single time. It's painful, and then they go about it. And then they, then they, halfway through, they want to get some more benefit from their data because they feel their data is dark. But they haven't modeled it in a way which, which gives them any extra insight. It's it it does make me kind of question workflows, how 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 they have workflows. We think when when the open letter came out, I spoke to Bob McNeil, and I said, "Well, uh, he just said I'm fed up of answering the phone to." All these large architectural firms are telling me what, what they want, and when you detail it, they they actually all want different things because there's no one wants the same thing because they've all got different workflows. And, and That's this my is concerned with with thirty nine firms like putting money into the pot to develop something is is who's the who's going to decide right? Because to that point right there, it's just well, I saw it's a, I saw incredibly Greg, challenging problem. I saw Greg Schlesner go from this is the way H O K to starting to talk to people and then suddenly he's like going, hmm, I can't go around I can't go around assuming that this is actually the way that everyone works or that we've got the best way of doing it. And so that was quite an experience. Um and there's a big question, should should practices be doing software development, period? Should they be involved? And I I think I believe we've got to a point where we have in-house expertise in the industry that can guide the software companies better than before when, you know, the last thing you want, this is what normally happens, is you have a board meeting, the head of some large software firm is going to rock up, it's the CEO and the VP, and do you think you're going to have a one-to-one frank discussion with them about what it is that you want? And they turn up and they show you something that they've they're going to launch in six weeks' time. They spent eighteen months developing with some California firms, and they think, "Isn't this great?" And you're going to you'll be able to buy this. And it's like, well, that's not really answering our problem. That's this meeting really isn't. It's not. It's not a sales meeting. It's not for you to tell us we will, how much you know how much how much feedback do you. Scans could get to give in software development, or and that's why these guys are spending a lot of time with these startup firms, and they're shining a little light on them so that maybe they can get some of their problems sorted. But 
Greg is taking this approach of there is a much bigger problem that if we crack, that if we we are no longer you can you'll be able to use whatever it, it turns your any BIM system into a HTML because it's it's it all you're doing is producing uh, components, uh, BIM components, and those BIM components go to the BIM component database in the in the sky, and you can swap, you can hire an RPCAD user, you can. It doesn't matter. It's suddenly the browser, yeah. yeah. And if you've got if it's a skill base, you you can hire people with the skill sets that that you want without having this kind of draconian. I only hire people who do this. I only hire people people who use that. And there are going to be different CAD systems that come along um, that people are going to want to uh, or are going to want to move. I think you know people like uh, Snapchat, for instance, you know, on its feature set. I mean, this is, I saw a video today of somebody reviewing alcohol and saying, oh, it's, it's kind of like SketchUp. And I was like, Ugh. it's, it's, this, this is, this isn't even beta software. This is a software company that sees a problem, wants to put BIM on the cloud. Don't limit your thoughts to it, what it can do now. You have to think about these are the fundamental basics that have to be built before you go for the, the hired stuff. And so, yeah, okay, yeah. you might think about using it for conceptual design tools because it's not deep enough, but this is years of development. Snapshot is at least five years of development before it gets to what, 80% of Revit. But the whole capabilities of, um, of Revit, if you think of all the years, even though it might have had five years of having hardly anything done to it, it's had a hell of a lot of development to, to do all those edge, case, edge cases that, were the, when they were in the mode for changing oh, yeah. and doing stuff. And I think that that is, um, that's something that people don't realize with software development is what you're seeing now is literally just the base rocks. And they, these guys are all aiming for the sky. They're all aiming for the stars. Now the question mark is going to be funding and who's going to get behind them and they're going to have continual funding to keep going or are these guys going to get eaten up? And, and I have to ask everybody that, the only way you're going to get different software to play with, to add to your tool sets, is if you give them some time. Play, play with them, give them your feedback. Um, if, they, if you can pay them some money for development, maybe it's for features that you want, do it. Because they need to have... There's this really strange... The thing I've come to discover is strange. It seems to be very, fairly easy to get money maybe like 500 grand to start your company, your software company. And that's great. And then you should develop something. And then you've got a framework. You might have something that you can show. But when you go back for more money for Series A, they're kind of like saying, well, what traction have you got? Well, I've got this kind of like thing. It's not really, uh, yeah, but you've got to get some traction. And maybe if you can, I'll give you half of what you want. If you, if you can get someone else, then I'll give it. And so I had this very strange conversation at Next Builds two years ago where someone said, I was Michael Mark, I'm not interested in anything under $3 million. Oh, wow. Right. Okay. Well, I'll keep that in mind whenever I speak to anyone. But there were so many firms that I'm asking for that kind of money. But right. you can't get a VC interested because the, the, the risk reward for them at 500000 isn't worth it. So okay. there's this strangulation point. And then then how can they show traction? 
if the agency kind of companies are sniffing around, get, maybe trying it, but they're not actually giving them any money, then they're not going to be around because they can't get any more funding. So it's really, really important that the AEC industry looks at these startups. If they're interested in some of the stuff they're doing, invite them in, uh, play with it, try and get them to develop some of the stuff you want, pay them. It's, 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 like, it's like, you know, it's, it's corn feed money. It's high, a tiny amount of money could be enough to say, hey, we've got these firms interested, and then they can go back and get VC funding to fund them for another couple of years. But it's, yeah. um, if you saw the VC panel session at Dev, the other thing is, is that this year there's money, but next year's there doesn't look to be a lot of money. So if you've started this year, um, uh, get fill, fill your boots because you, you might be starving uh, through next year before you can go back to the market again. And it's, um, yeah, these are the kind of dynamics that you just don't think about. I had no, For sure. no yeah. comprehension of. Um, but yes, I am so excited that there are so many good ideas coming through and I wanted to showcase them. And I knew it was kind of, you know, doing Next Step and having one track was kind of like, all right. And then that became two tracks and all these people loved them. I mean, I didn't have really budget for, for Next Step at all. These guys all flew in from wherever around the world to give their 20, 30 minute demos. And I said, look, I don't know if anyone's going to be in the room because now I know what Aaron's going to do, but if I go video it and then we're going to promote it. And so, yeah, this is a good, good launch point for we. And they all love them. They all did it to however many people were in the room. Um, but it was, yeah, mergers and acquisition people are watching the videos. Um, it's possible to go in and see stuff. It does have life after the day. But um, I didn't realize by having, um, uh, well, I, I think we had about 70 or 80 speakers. There's an order of magnitude larger wow. than normal. So um, yeah. I was like juggling. But, um we had nine people on a panel, which was <laughs> incredibly crazy. Um, so, and yeah. it was, but they were all, they were all fantastic people. They all got to have a say, not necessarily as in depth as perhaps, um, with the AI stuff, but, um, I, we've learned some lessons next year will be a little bit different. I don't, and 40 minutes isn't long enough to discuss some of these topics because, um, I mean, I, I could have done a whole morning with Aaron and then, the the architects discussing issues and it's very important that the people in the audience get to ask their questions so it becomes i don't want just talking heads i want the um the uh, audience to also have their point of view shared and then the, we, yeah we went all day we went through diff down different little uh kind of alleyways all day through different people saying things and there's a lot of there's a lot of people who've been around for a long time who just don't believe that that change is coming. Uh, Hopefully change you stuff is his. Uh, yeah. So we had quite a bit of that. And British people are quite well known for it. Um, but <laughs> the other thing that happened is, is it's pretty much like the back end of my LinkedIn. So I've got people contacting, oh, do you know this guy? Can you put me in touch with this guy? And I'm like, okay. Mm -hmm. And then all those people were in a space for two days. So I could say, oh, you need to speak to that guy. You need to speak to that guy. And it could happen. And then yeah. the night... Before, uh, during the, the drinking uh, evening, uh, Aaron was talking to 
Jess, who's a VC, who was talking to, I think he was talking to uh, one of the guys from Spaces that's now co-design. And Aaron just said, where on earth can you find in a bar an architect talking to a VC and a software developer about licensing models? And they were, you know, Aaron could have done a whole morning on licensing models and the pain that it causes companies. Um, it's not going away. We're definitely going to do it again. Um, I think we've kind of sparked something. And the, and the, the great thing is, that, yeah, I, I kind of have said privately, I said, well, Autodesk had this access to all of these guys for three years after the Open Meadow to get this information. But it's not true because it was always in that Revit construct, that, that the, the, the walls of Revit were limiting the conversation. And I think what we did with Dev was we we took the walls off and even Autodesk would find things that they wouldn't have found out in the three years of those discussions that they had in the future of Revit because by freeing yourselves of your constraints, funnily enough, then you're, you can actually think clearly. And I think that um, the Open Meta Group did a fantastic job of um, kicking off that debate and doing some of that kind of out-of-the-box thinking. Um, and the VCs were fascinated because it was, um, I had come thought McKinsey were in the room. I was thinking, what McKinsey report would ever have this information? And, you know, it's just absolutely fantastic stuff. Um, it, it, to hear it from the, that, that was the, the real concept of the day was VCs, they, they said, we already know the software companies. They're interested in hearing from the actual users. Software developers wanted to speak to the VCs and the users. And the actual users wanted to talk to both because their pain points are business models and capability. And right. um, so it was kind of like a, a slightly wonky, but um, a, a three-legged stool. And then it's it's free for everyone to go and just watch, listen, think. Um, I had some negative feedback from some software developers who are really unhappy with yeah, the, the discussion about licensing models because they're oh, it's as if they don't would want any like any any models aren't good enough for them. And it's kind of, well, try just talking to them. Don't copy Autodesk. Don't copy right. who copied Adobe. Who then got everyone's copying each other on business models as to how much they can extract from people. And there is a limit. And and you're at the back of the queue depending on your pro your product. There's a lot of software companies that completely overrate the value of their service or products to the to the customer. And at some point, those customers make a decision to remove it. And uh, it's happening. You know, the daily, as I said, it's getting uh, kicking over here and soon in the States, I think, as well. Um, and, and people, at some point, people will go, oh, yes, why does 2D CAD cost so much? I mean, that stuff is old as the arc. I mean, why are you paying so much for a license of 2D drawing software? I mean, it's insane if you think about it. I mean, it's probably, if you do the math, I'm, I'm sure Autodesk will write in and say something like, well, AutoCAD hasn't gone up in price over 10 years due to inflation. It's actually decreased in value. This has been around the same price for whatever. I kind of feel that tools cost too much and the things that you, you 
you only have to go and speak to people like Bob McNeil or anyone who who works with Bob McNeil or buys from Bob McNeil. No one ever complains about how much Rhino Cross. No one ever complains about how much Cross or Bookhouse because it doesn't. Um, right. They only complain about how often he updates the software as opposed to how little he up- updates it. Um, and and it's not it's it's love. You know, people actually can feel love for a software company. And then you go to this sort of volume products, and um, when it's there's the love is evaporating or is long gone. Um, yeah. I don't know. I, I'm quite passionate about that element of it. I think you know companies that come along, Enscape or another way, they were always good for their customers. Um, well, it was. It's like building that that communication. It's much easier to do when you've got. A small number. I, I'd hate to be in Autodesk's position trying to uh, please so many customers uh, who are all doing different things, who have all different workflows, different cap- yeah. different in-house capabilities. But ultimately, everyone gets treated pretty much the same. Is the is a is a bottom line there? Yeah. But um, I think the industry is heading for a better place, and what we're trying to do is to. Have a look under some of the rocks so that we can see um, what's coming. Try and encourage these startups who are doing interesting things. Connect people. Um, that's a, another important thing. And then also, you know, speak truth to power. I think that, that that is something that will always be in my DNA. Um, and I, it, it helps. I, there's, there's nothing wrong with complaining. If you've got a valid complaint, then all you're doing is helping somebody. It might not look like helping, but it is. If you listen, um, then then you're helping. And if they, they if you do something, it's even better because uh, they're probably not the only people complaining. Uh, right. And this so is for every one that complains. There's a, there's a hundred more that are are just yeah. nodding I, I their can, heads right behind them. I can go into nearly any EBA agreement customer and uh, outline the sales pitch pattern, and they will. They every time they've done it, go, "Yep, it's the same," and that kind of galls me. So it's it's, it's it, sales is sales, and um, uh, yeah, Autodesk is amazing in this managed to keep its sales resellers on. I know that they will kind of collapse into these huge, big, big firms, yeah. but I, I am amazed that they're still there because it's the only companies that I know where it's your own company, but really you don't have a lot of say in it because so much is dictated by your franchisee or whatever it is. It almost is. Um, and then the software, and the thing I'm not looking forward to is when software gets complicated. So all the new stuff, it's great. It's easy to get into, quick to learn. You can spend four hours on a call and you pretty much know what it can do. Um, mm-hmm. The problem is in 10 years' time, that software would have had... Yeah. I mean, the, the real skill is trying to keep old software simple to use. And I, I think the industry needs to learn a few more lessons in how it does that. Um, no one does it. That was one of the big points in the... The, the standards talk that Aaron gave, right? It's just the complexity of the software alone is where everybody's spinning their wheels trying to figure out how to 
how to draw the things that they have to draw that day. And I'm, my, my wife's a Revit user. And, you know, as, as, a, as an example, and every day it's like the hand goes up multiple times. How, what, where, how do I find, where, where's this thing? Which way did they choose to go about doing it today? Works for different architects. They all do it differently, right? And so... What's the same with reality. Yeah. Even in release 12, there were about 13 different ways to do dimensioning. And it always gets complicated because people ask for things and they put it in the software and it's yet another feature which they don't have to support for another 10 years while they add another right. whole lot of stuff on it. it <laughs> it's from layer upon layer upon layer. And um, some features need expiration dates, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's like, yeah. yeah. I love I love uh, Graphisoft rewrote the stair tool completely, and that was don't that those kind of things excite me. They're not they're not particularly exciting, but it's like yeah, you, you get to a point where you know what there is a better yeah. way of doing this, and, and, right. and you you run the fear of upsetting your customers because you've changed the way something is hallowed that the is used all the time um, uh, runs, um, and you're gonna. I mean, for the longest time, I remember around 2010, nearly every release of Revit seemed to ch- change where functions were. There was like hunt, hunt the feature through all the all the all the different menus because you just didn't know what they were what they were doing. And then eventually, they kind of learned that that isn't really a sustainable way of, of working. So things kind of settled down. And again, software companies always tell me we don't know how to size up these portions. Are we giving people too much uh, per year? Too little? How much is how much is right before you know? And when you see a release come out with two hundred features, you know, oh god, oh boy, there's there is some some working that needs to be done here. Um, so that it, subscription forced this yearly update mentality, as opposed to two or three years, whatever we were having before. Um, it got it was very difficult for Autodesk, I know, to size that portion. Some were too big, some were too small. Um, and then, you know, some products just don't need updating. How, yeah, it's just kind of the AutoCAD. What's been added to it that's really useful? Um, <laughs> yeah, who knows? And then, you know, it's, it's like, and then there's, there's this, the other thing that's interesting. So even though AutoCAD is huge, it's everywhere, everyone knows it, they're still selling more of it every year, I'm sure. There's LT. In Japan, there was this moment when Autodesk removed LT from the market and they dropped AutoCAD to the same price as LT. And that's that was there for a couple of years. And it sort of transpires, I think, that they were under some pressure from BricsCAD and GraberCAD uh, because all of those had all of the reverse engineered or rebuilt the APIs that went along in AutoCAD. So you could you could still run code and expand it and do and in Japan, that's a big thing. Doing customization is a big thing. And LT at the price didn't have that because obviously it was re- removed. Um, and so they removed it from the market, brought in AutoCAD. But now they've just introduced LT with uh, capabilities of, run- of running apps and stuff and developing apps and all of it. So I think Autodesk has sensed that it needed to be defensive against these kind of like um, startups. I know um, BricsCAD had one of the best years they've ever had last year. I know uh, uh, Greybird had a fantastic year as well. 
So either the whole market's floating, or there is some kind of decision making, specifically in the in the, East, in the Asia uh, world, so Korea, Japan area, where again they might be having this moment of you know Adobe, it's really expensive. Maybe this criminal like cheaper stuff, which has pretty much the same stuff on on the tin. Maybe we should be trying that. And so I'm kind of wondering if we're heading towards um, more of that. And I think with a cloud-based world and the desktop apps, all the desks you've got, maybe there is this time when, you know, CAD, 2D CAD, might be the thing that you've got on your desktop. And that's the thing that you use while modeling software is the stuff that's on the cloud. But you end up with buying lower-cost apps to do some of this stuff. But then if you're, uh, again, you're going to be doing a lot of 2D detailing on, on the, on, automatically on the cloud. Um, but I'm, I'm looking at Rayon this week. I'm really looking forward to seeing what they've done. The demos look amazing. Uh, I don't know if you've seen that. It's kind of Figma for AutoCAD for Figma, Figma AutoCAD. Uh, but it's mm. more specific to architecture than than you'd expect. And this is R A Y O N, and they're based in France, in Paris. So that could be another kind of challenge. Because I was thinking, so you've got you've got things like Arcool and Snapfood, which are proving that you can you can do some pretty decent rectilinear models, uh, BIM. But then, yeah, you don't necessarily want to detail it out fully, but you might want drawings from it. Well, Rayon, if there was a link with Rayon, you could take to that. Or if you have spaces on your iPad and you've modeled a, a kind of skin of a, of a, of a building, you, call, you know where the floors are. If, if there was a link between that and Rayon, Rayon you could do the 2D drawings. And you could also make edits, which would then maybe change spaces. So, But it wouldn't necessarily have to be this all-encompassing huge BIM yeah. system that you have to learn. You can just use two cloud-based apps um, and get and get drawings out or do experimental layouts. If Rayon linked to Finch 3D, for instance, all those kind of 2D drawing. If you got if you have the walls of the building, then you know the AI can take care of a layout and you can just make some edits. This is yeah, that's that. I think these things are so exciting. I think Finch 3D were were. Very hard to get hold of and very hard to convince because their software wasn't isn't really ready for the prime time. And so they came over and they said they'd show it. But I think loads of people are going to freak out when that stuff comes out because they've really got a, a very, very good idea of what it is that they're solving for architects. Um, so I was very happy to have Paul, uh, uh, Jesper um, and Pam over. I think one of the, the big pieces i mean that it was said over and over again is the best tool for the job and like that's what you're speaking to right now you're speaking to use this tool for this part use this tool for this part why because they're incredibly adept at that part and they can focus solely on solving for that piece of it and if the data can flow freely between these then it makes a ton of sense in firms and practice people who are in practice would be willing to spool those up when they need them. I think that's another important part about this is I don't need the design tool the whole time. I don't need the documentation tool the whole time. I don't need the presentation tool the whole time. But it has and to be easy enough to pick up and leave. so hard. Yeah, it does. It really. Ha- I want to be able to turn it on and off whenever I need it. And 
it is interesting to see how Autodesk now has, and I think it was brought up during the, the where the the guy from um, the analyst presentation, the industry analyst uh, Jay, was Jay talking Bisha. about. He was talking about how there was the the new token system for Revit, where you could buy tokens and just turn it on and off. You know, just use it whenever you want to use it, and you it takes a token away. It's like putting a coin into the 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 pinball machine, right? It's like when you play, you put a coin in, and and it's interesting to see that kind of thing coming from such a big company. I mean, it it makes sense to me where I'm not going to use Revit, but more than three times a month. So why should I pay for it for the entire month? I, it does make sense, but it's but the, interesting to how, how it is going to get so granular. Now I have to manage all that as a user or as a firm. And that could be. That well, could firms, be firms are having to do that already. People on EBA agreements who have moved to token-based systems, they have to predict their usage for three yeah. years. And if they under undershoot it, then they have to buy more tokens at a higher price. So they end up obviously losing. Penalty. And if they overshoot it, they end up with tokens that they don't, they don't not spent. They, the only way to keep them alive <laughs> is to take on another agreement. You know, there's, the house always wins. I mean, this is mm-hmm. essentially it's a casino. I see cloud tokens as, as being bitcoins. It's, it's, it's an Autodesk crypto. I, I, I think flexibility is good. If those crypto coins um, work, it's all about value. Is it worth, is it, does it save any money? Is it worth value? But the problem is that Revit is not a product that you can switch on and off. And if you only use Revit three times in a month, I hate to see how, how good you are at it at a year because you have to <laughs> right. keep using this stuff to keep the, the, the muscle That's memory good. and the, Flexibility. I was in, you're going to be wasting your time. I think. I think the cloud unit or the cloud token is literally a whole day. It's 24 hours, uh, 12 hours. I think. So um, there's no smaller. You're not renting it for an hour or by the hour. Okay. It's kind of like one day. That's 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 your unit. And everybody will pay. Everyone pays differently for those units. So the EBA agreement, which is under an NDA. Um, dictates your personal company uh, price of however many those cloud credits are. Uh, as an individual outside, I'm guessing there's going to be like a very standard price that you will be paying, right. but it'll be a lot more than these other guys. But um, one company with an EBA agreement in America will be paying a different price per crypto coin for a cloud coin than one in Sweden or Norway. And it's all kind of hidden behind their EBA agreements. And so that, that's kind of a, an issue where I, I, I'm, yeah, I just, it should be dollars. I don't, the whole idea of, of having uh, this kind of uh, arbitrary fake coinage really doesn't. Currency. Yeah. It, yeah. It doesn't give clarity to the industry as to what they're paying uh, or what the industry's paying or if you're being ripped off or if you're, Got a really great deal, you know. Um, so I, there was no way the Hortodesk will want to change the model to the point where it doesn't make it makes less than four billion a year. It's it's got to be about growth. So, whatever the new business model is going to be, 
it, 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 it's not particularly clear yet what that will be with, with this kind of move to the cloud versus right. what they've got at the moment. How can you do non-compliance when, when you're, you're using former and all your software is on former? Autodesk makes a, a lot of money from non-compliance and suddenly that non-compliance money will disappear if everybody, if there's no way to accidentally install or copy or whatever. So what would be the new, how will you replace the non-compliance money? How will you, you know, uh, re, uh, if, if, uh, if, at the moment, I think the open, open letter group said that, um, the yet 39 applications in the collections of the suite, whatever it's called, they only, on average, they only install four of them. Yeah, and so yeah. it's, it's AutoCAD, Revit, uh, 3D Studio Max and, um, uh, Navsux. Those are the, the rest of it is rarely ever installed. And so that's, that makes it worth their while buying a, a collection, just those four on its own out of 39. But if you start mixing and matching with other tools, at what point do you not need to have that kind of like big collection? So that'll be another kind of, um, issue for Autodesk to address in terms of how, how much does it cost to have, can, can you have like Mr. Potato Head and, I'll, instead of the season 39, maybe you pick out of suite a bunch of features and services now that you can use. Um, I think, you know, the one thing we know is that Autodesk does like changing its business model and adapting its business model to squeeze the lemon harder. Um, and then, yeah, we have to wait and see how that goes. Um, customers, I think the one thing that everyone's, I'm concerned about anyway, is the next move means means putting your data on a server. It's not going to be your server. It's going to be your vendor's server. And, you know, it's, it's, it's suddenly how do you get your data out? Can you get your data out? If you want to migrate or move elsewhere, how can you do that? How can you terminate some of these agreements? Uh, how do you know what they're doing to your data? What are you, what are you letting them do to it? Um, it, uh, as it is, nearly all software is automatically reporting back all the time to you base, telling people what you're doing, um, giving them insight into you, um, how you use the software, what, what functions you use, what you spend most of your time doing. And they hopefully use that to improve the product and, and stuff, but it can be used, um, uh, in a business case way, um, well, look at your cell phone. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, I mean, people are pretty oblivious to it, but, but talk about reporting back, right? I mean, different apps with different qualifiers for everything under the sun there that's reporting back on your, your usage, your location. I always tell my friends with Chromebooks that they're, they're basically running, uh, they're basically running a virus. It's, it's there yep. uh, reporting back every single thing they do. Um, and part of the free software and all the Google nice, Apps and stuff is is that you are literally selling your entire usage um, uh, back to them as knowledge. Uh, we haven't got quite that far back that bad in, in. There's no kind of advertising model in uh, in, in in that yet. But you know, I, I, when I'm talking to um, Graphisoft, seem very much uh, against that against. Um, Cloud-based models, at least pure cloud. They think it's insecure. Mm. I 
that's the story they're telling me. Um, but there's do- a lot of firms who can't do that either, right? They, they're just, they can't have their data off premises for the type of project yeah. that they're working on. Yeah. Well, there's, there's a, I think Autodesk is kind of suffering at the moment that there's a lot of people with Autodesk ACC that need some kind of special governmental approval in the States for defense stuff. And I think they've been promising it for a number of years that they're getting, it still hasn't come. And they're kind of getting people getting a bit um, um, upset about, well, yeah, I need this. I need, I need this so I can use these tools on this job. Right. Um, right. And I don't, I've, I've only come across that a couple of times. I haven't seen, um, I think COVID got rid of a lot of people's worries <laughs> in that it's just enabling people to, to downsize their offices. There's a hell of a lot they're going, going on now. Um, people are in two or three times a week, if that. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, we, we really are working in a very distributed way. And I don't think it's going to change because I'm seeing really large corporations here, not necessarily architects, making substantial changes to the amount of office space they're letting. This is multi-year, forever decisions. Um, yeah. And it's happening. Um, this this is going to stick. It's not it's not short term. And the generation that complain about it are the ones that are kind of uh, in God's waiting room. They're not they're not necessarily <laughs> the younger people because no, quality of life is is so much better to work from home if you can. I know people with children, maybe a willful dog, but um, it's a uh, 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 we're we were always kind of in a world where change was a given, but I think in the last five years, the amount of change that we've done has shown that we're very adaptable as a species and we're willing to roll with it. Um, and it, you know, the cloud stuff, even though it wasn't selling, has saved people's asses. And I think that it'll continue to change the way that people work. I just, Really hope that um, uh, that the way things work are actually for the benefit of customers, not just shareholders and not just uh, business models. Um, yeah. And I, I think with next build and next dev, next dev will continue. We'll have a new batch of startups next year doing different things. Um, we're going to have some more VCs, um, maybe some more Americans because the American market for VC is so much more, um, it's so much more engaging in, in the, in Europe, you have to have a product that's ready to, to go before you get much funding. People in America are much more likely to make a bet. There's something inherent in American culture, which is you know, to be admired. In terms of taking risk, I mean, you guys cross that continent not knowing what the hell's on the other side of it. <laughs> um, I think that still continues. Um, so I, I think I always get very envious when I go to Boston. So if on the mechanical CAD side, nearly all 3D printing came out of Boston. <laughs> um, then you got PTC, um, Onshake, John Hirschick, SolidWorks. Everything, the Boston, the Boston area for MCAD is huge. Um, when you go there on the, the, the startup environment and you go to these incubating 
buildings, the buildings for incubators, and you talk to these young kids with these amazing ideas, and it's so inspiring. It's it's concentrated. We don't have that. It's cool. We just don't get the the same level of intensity and the the same risk taking. Um, so the majority uh, the majority of firms that came over were uh, America, Canada, Israel, um, uh, Scandinavia is a uh, little seems to be a bit better. Um, but yeah, um, the UK is not a brilliant part for that. But the idea is we have a brilliant city in which to hold the event because we've got so many construction and architectural firms that are global there. And now running it two days, I mean, people are more likely to fly in. <coughs> so they're more likely to come in for both days. Yeah. But there's the limit to how many people I can fit in the space That's I've true. got. The idea of next build is going to be the top 100 uh, AEC firms. And now it's 450 people. I think my limit for the room is 500. Um, so I kind of, I've still got to try and keep keep the kind of the same quality of people um, in the space. Um, and now I'm kind of adding to it by adding VCs and software developers. So we'll wait, we'll wait to see. You might have to move dev depending on how many people want to come to it. But um, yeah, it was a, it was a it was a risk. We didn't have it funded. Um, uh, we got some sponsorship from Lenovo and um, Nvidia, who were brilliant. Um, didn't ask for anything, and um, yeah, it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see who wants to come next year. I'm sure there'll be plenty of people from these software companies that now want to come and sit there and listen. Um, it was yeah. great. We had DPR, so we, we didn't just have. Uh, um, we had a kind of international group of speakers as well, um, but I'm hopefully going to get more American uh, companies over. But there's this, there is a cultural thing where uh, American firms don't like rocking the boat too much, uh, but in private they're saying exactly the same things that I'm getting from everyone else. But politically. There are bigger risks deemed to saying exactly how you feel in a public forum. So, um, and, it, and the great thing about Dev was that there was, because there was no Autodesk, no Graphisoft, no Trimble, the, these, there was no exhibition per se. It was essentially totally uh, devoid of the main players. Uh, they were there in the audience. They sent people from their strategies and from uh, strategic development, but they weren't dictating the event. And I go to so many events where because someone is exhibiting, they're expecting to talk. And it's kind of like, no, they're just going to give you a sales pitch. And so that's the one thing with Next Dev and Next Build is that, you know, I don't really care. Just, if you do something interesting, if you've got something that I think is valid, then... You, you you can talk, but it'd have to be in the context of something. And this time, yeah, I think I was chatting with Richard Harpham and um, uh, Charlie from DPR, and they just said, you know, mm-hmm. as an event to go to, it was a unique experience because no one was there to wrap their bin colours in it or, or their product. Um, it was very much... 
is very much based on yeah customers talking. VCs were kind of like the matter part, um, and then software devs took their opportunities where they could to have some had some corridor conversations and they had one yeah. room, had that one room which was like a machine gun of of demos. Um, but yeah, they weren't standing in the shadows of of any large player that that really does kind of tend it to just, overshadow it, any any one event. And I think, to be honest, I think all of them, all of them have mergers and acquisitions. All of them have individuals whose job it job it is to go and look at the market and see if there's any technology they should buy. And I think all of them have access to those videos or were there on that day to have a sniff around. I mean, even Dassault Systems, M and A, and people I I wouldn't expect. So it's 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 a place to come to see the stuff you don't you're not going to see. I mean. Uh, a lot of it. Uh, so, um, Conic, uh, top the secret squirrels over in Belgium. Eric, I love to bits, but their secret squirrels, um, their software isn't even in beta and it won't be till the end of this year. And yet they were willing to come over and talk about what they were developing. Fitch 3D again, not even in beta. They were willing to talk about it. Um, Paul from Arcanol kind of was doing an RE and he sort of pulled out. He's very, very, Precious about what he's in the middle of doing that now. It was it just wasn't good timing right. for him. Um, so I think Snapstream has were on V two, so they were the they were kind of commercial. Um, Marty Rose Manif, I don't think that stuff. He just launched half of his application, which is that kind of sketch uh, tool, but the other stuff is is yet to come out. Um, yeah, so. It's a bit annoying when you go to a conference, you see something cool and you actually can't buy it or you can't do anything because yeah. they're in front of you. So Swap, I think Swap and Snapstream were the only two players to actually have commercial products out of uh, nine or ten people who gave presentations. All the rest mm-hmm. of it you couldn't buy. Um, but you might be able to sign up for later. So that was... Like high part. You could... You could oh, you high could yeah, you can as well. Yeah. 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 But, I mean, they're fun watching those those guys. I mean, Ian's very funny, um, and I, I, I always love talking to him. Uh, and because yeah, you just follow his Twitter, and he kind of really it's, he's always seemingly anti IFC. So we had a good conversation about that. Um, but Hypar's gone through several rethinks, and and the technology still the same. It's just how it's pointing and the orientation of, of of who they're talking to. And I think they've really got a really good story now. And they're working with DPR to do some very, very interesting stuff. If that takes off, that's another direction there where BIM, you know, there's this there's this huge problem in in fabrication, digital fabrication. Linking design to digital fabrication is a mess. An absolute mess. Um and uh, Hypar working with, with uh, DPR, the connection capability of them also, yeah, okay, you can speak into it and it'll design something. Okay, fine, tick. Uh, a a nice execution of of a of a parlor trick, but working with DPR, all of those components in that conceptual building can be swapped for one to one representations of the model. So you can go from conceptual 
to full one-to-one fabrication model in a flick of a switch. Right. Um, that's mind-blowing. That yeah. could be big. And uh, that would totally annihilate the uh, design modeling in any tool. But then that could only be maybe, maybe that's the construction bin for QE, for QA. Maybe that will never be the design model. Who knows? But it's it's a. I think everyone's all the VCs are looking for. I'm just looking for a design tool. They're looking for a design tool that can somehow drive fabrication. Somehow drive mm. fabrication. I had a a VC lady contacted me before we went. I had a conversation with her. And it was pretty clear that maybe she didn't really know that much um, about the industry and was kind of learning. And so we had a half an hour call. Not all came out of it. And then she contacted me after Dev and just said, okay, we sorted. We're looking for firms that can remove architects. And I'm like, what? Uh, yeah. There isn't one piece of software that was demoed anywhere that could remove an architect. There is no such thing. Um, you're still going to need people who've got indemnity. But you still need people to check everything. There is no way you can remove that entire job. There might be fewer of them, but it's not necessarily. Oh, so this is this is the kind of the the next kind of set of conceptual problems that we're going to be facing. Is the VCs are going to be looking to knock out part of the industry because they think yeah. that it's possible with AI. Yeah. So oh yeah, we can in that industry we can get rid of the lawyers, in that industry we can get rid of the doctors. Everybody wants to get rid of somebody. The architects want to get rid of the plan checkers, right? It, yeah. As an example. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, it, you know, and, and then with AI, everyone's thinking, oh my God, I, they're going to steal my designs. But at the same point, all the same companies are talking to me saying, what we really want is an internal AI that learns from our designs so that we can yeah. get rid of our people. We get rid of our people, not other people get rid of us. And I'm like, <laughs> wow. Wow. So everyone's everyone's going to AI each other. It's it's just like these big huge whacking sticks. At some point, right? I, I think at that point it becomes very difficult to predict the future because what what it gets settled upon is nothing that we can possibly imagine at the moment. All right, that's where I'm cutting off the conversation for part one. Join us in the next episode where we'll jump back in and continue with part two. See you next week. Thanks to our sponsors and thanks to our members this week. Find out how you can become a member at trxl.co and I'll talk to you again next week.